0: And it was Friday around uh, really lunchtime for me that the Lord kind of began to work on me about uh, changing the message that I had for you today. And uh, you may not be aware of how much work goes into this. Some of you are like, apparently not much. Uh, But 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 not only just writing and preparing a message, but, but if you're familiar with what we do digitally, you know, we have a production team, like we record and edit and push out that digital content to a ton of different platforms. We have our life group curriculum that we have to do and get going on all its different platforms. So changing is a huge deal. So to be honest with you, I really wrestled with the Lord for uh, several hours, and it wasn't until late Friday night that I just kind of said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. And I want to just be honest with you, not only did I write this message last night, but I had to record and redo all of the online work, because I didn't call, you know, Jessica and say, get up here, we're redoing it. Uh, So I did all of this last night, so with, you know, by the end of this message, you may be saying, it's obvious, but... I let you know that because I want you to know I really believe that the Lord has an important word for us today. And I want you to be patient to hear and respond to the Lord's word. Because I would not be doing this if I did not feel convinced that this is what the Lord wanted me to do. And when I say it's an important message, I also want to say that important does not mean easy. There comes a time for a pastor to preach a prophetic message And prophetic messages tend to be equal opportunity offending. I'm aware that today I'm going to say some things that are going to make us uncomfortable. But I want you to know, Crossroad, I love you too much to not tell you the truth. So I want to spend some time today addressing the sanctity of human life. And specifically talking about what the Bible has to say about life and the issue of abortion. On Friday, Roe v. Wade was overturned, and the responses you're just like me, you have social media, you have televisions. The response was quick and fierce. Statistically speaking, and this was before Friday, statistically sp- speaking, about 27% of people who were polled would say that they are pro choice or pro abortion. Uh, 22% of people would identify themselves as pro-life, as opposing abortion. Now, if you're a mathematician like me, uh, not really, but I did the math at a calculator, that's less than 50%, right? So, so what that tells us is that the majority of people polled kind of are in this weird limbo of like, I, I don't know, like I'm not really sure what to think, and I just don't really know and don't have a response, So what I just want to acknowledge is that right now in this room, I believe these statistics probably somewhat bear themselves out. Like there is a group of you right now who are like, it's about time he grew a spine and was bold enough to address this issue. And some of you are like, he's talking about me. Yeah. Then there's another group of you who are honestly appalled that I would even bring this up. Like, man, like, this is my Jesus time, and I don't want any of that, so why would you even bring this in? But then there's kind of a large segment of you who probably are kind of like, man, man I don't really know. I do know this is uncomfortable, and I'm not a fan of that. I, I think I'm pro-life, but, but what about women's choice? What about the extreme cases I keep hearing about on TV? And, and by and large, you would probably just rather we ignored this issue. But here's what I'm hoping to do today. I want to speak to 100% of you. Like wherever you're at on that spectrum, I want to pray and I'm asking that the word of God would speak into your heart on this issue because I believe, friends, that we cannot afford to stay silent, that we cannot afford to be apathetic and we cannot afford to ignore the truth and continue to live in error. So here's what I hope is true. If you're a guest with us today, and I'm really glad you're here, uh, and you might be thinking, so he's that kind of guy, but but I hope that if you've been here for any length of time, uh, you know my heart, and I pray that even if you don't today, you will hear my heart. I don't do this kind of thing very often, and I want to be abundantly clear. This isn't political. This is biblical, And toward the end of this message, I will touch on how this certainly applies in a sense to the political sphere. And I promise you by the time I get to that point in the message, many of you on both sides are not going to like what I have to say. So I'm just going to pre-tell you, you're welcome. (laughs) But what I want to say is that I'm not really worried about the elephant or the donkey, but friends, as a church, we're worried about what Jesus thinks. We're worried about the word of God says. We're worried about the lion and the lamb. And what I want to tell you is that he has clearly spoken. Regardless of what culture thinks, regardless of what the people around us think, regardless regardless of what they say about us, friends, we cannot afford to try to please God and please man any longer. I'm convinced today that we don't just need prophetic preachers, But we also need prophetic Christians, people who will boldly live out their faith, who are not afraid to speak the truth, yet also to do it in love. And yes, that's possible. But it starts with knowing God's word. And I don't know that we've done this enough, which is why I want to just take a minute today to really build the biblical case for life. I think there is a large segment of us, and perhaps even the older generation, but I know this is the case in the younger generation, who just think this is like a white Republican thing. And I want to lay out very clearly for you that this is in the Bible, that this is how we arrive here. And again, if anything... I'm pretty anti-political, which again, bothers a lot of you, but that's, sorry. But I am very biblical, and you as a Christ follower should be too. So it's my prayer that as we get into the word, that we will see what God has to say. So I want to pray, and then we'll dive into the word together. We're starting here in Genesis 1, then we'll be moving to another passage. But let's just pray now and ask for the Lord's help. So Lord, we come to you right now. And I want to ask you, please, God, to speak to the hearts and minds and souls of the people in this room. God, I know, again, statistically, some people are thrilled, some people are angry, some people are a little nervous, and some people are apathetic. But God, I I pray that your word would just cut through all of the clutter of our culture and the baggage that we even bring from our families and our upbringings and all of that, God, and that your word would just pierce our hearts with your truth. So God, we thank you for what you're going to do today. And we just submit ourselves to your word. Would you teach us today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, here's what you need to know, friends. We are a Bible-believing church. We believe that the Bible is perfect and inerrant, which means it does not have errors in it, and that it is completely sufficient for everything we need for life. So we believe in what is said. We are a people of the book. And I just got to tell you that in our society today, uh, even yesterday, I saw on social media that the word Bible was trending, and I was like, cool, until I clicked on it. And what you were finding, what were tons of people saying, your mythical book shouldn't be guiding the way I live my life. Like uh, your ancient religious text that's not real should not be guiding legislation and all this kind of stuff over and over and over. You've probably seen some of those types of thoughts. What I want to just tell you honestly, and this is without judgment, but I want to just very clearly tell you that if you hold that position today, you're not a Christian you're not actually a Christ follower. I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if you got baptized. If you don't believe that the Bible is real and authoritative for your life, you are not a believer. So, so I want to tell you today that, that I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're here to listen to this. But I also just want to be honest with you. This probably isn't going to make a whole lot of sense for you. Because today, I'm not appealing to any kind of worldly law. I'm appealing to the Word of God and what it tells us and teaches us. If the book says it, we believe it and we seek to live it out. So with that in mind, I want to read one verse here in Genesis 1:27 to begin our time together. Here's what it says. Verse 27 of Genesis 1, summing up creation, says it this way. So God created man in his own image... In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The first truth we need to understand today is simply this. God is the author of life. God is the author of life. God created humanity in his own image. This is really what sets humans apart from your, your pets, uh, the trees, the grass, all the stuff that we see around us that's created. What sets humans apart, what sets humanity apart is that we are created in God's image. There are special characteristics in humanity that are a part of God's very nature. Our spiritual, moral, and intellectual essence sets us apart from the rest of creation. And these features are what scholars would call the Imago Dei, which is being made in the image of God. Every single person on this earth is created in the image of God. This means that every single person you meet on this earth is created in the image of God, and they are worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. Friends, hear me when I say this, even if they disagree with you on big ideas like abortion. Every single person you encounter is somebody who has been created in the image of God, and we should recognize that. Every life is precious to the God who made it and made us. And if we're to keep reading in Genesis, it doesn't take very long to discover that life is a central issue in God's story. After the fall in Genesis 3, when you get to Genesis chapter 4, there's the murder of Cain and Abel, the first murder that we find recorded in Scripture. And while there is forgiveness and grace for Cain, it's clear throughout the law of the Old Testament and then even moving into the New Testament that life is not ours for the taking. God is the author of life, and as the author of life, God determines its beginning and its end. Scripture is clear. Job 14:5 is, is one of those passages that you know but you don't know. It says that God knows the number of our days. God knows exactly how long you're going to live, friends. So scripture is clear, we are not to play God. Life is not ours to give and to take. Which really brings up the crux of this whole debate, and, and that's this question. When does life begin? According to pro-choice ideals, a fetus is simply a clump of cells, a zygote, an embryo, a bundle of tissue. In recent years, the pro-abortion movement has expanded to later and later within a pregnancy. And I'm not going to exhaust this, but I do want to say that this has been a very slippery slope. Through the history of the the pro-abortion movement, like it kind of started, especially within the context of the sexual revolution in our culture, it started with saying, hey, listen, I mean, it's just birth control. Give women freedom to express themselves however they want. Just give them birth control. And then it's like, hey, it's just a clump of cells, y'all. Like it doesn't even have a heartbeat yet. It's just a bundle of tissue. But now here we are where late-term abortion is becoming the norm in states that are pushing even harder for it. In fact, there's some today who say that a baby is not viable until it can sustain life on its own, even outside of the womb. I I gotta be honest, y'all, I got toddlers. If I walked out of my house and left them alone for a couple weeks, they ain't gonna make it. So are they viable? Some of you are like, oh, that is gross, pastor. That's so extreme. That kind of rhetoric is what's harming this dialogue. They would have said the same thing two decades ago when you brought up late-term abortion. But here we are. So Christ followers, we have to ask ourselves an important question for this conversation. When does life begin? And I don't want to just pontificate on that. I don't want to just kind of tell you what I think. We want to see what the Word of God says. So turn with me to Psalm 139. In the middle of your Bible is this collection called the Psalms, and we want to go right in the middle of that to Psalm 139. Man, I'd love to preach this entire chapter, but we have another service starting in a little while, so I'm not going to do that. So we're going to start in verse 13 of Psalm 139. I'll give you just a second to get there. Same guy who wrote last week's Song Psalm 23 David is who we believe wrote this and in verse 13 here's what the word of God says For you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast are the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Church, friends, guests, if we believe the Bible, if we believe that the words we just read were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to the writer of this psalm, David, then this text makes it abundantly clear. Not only is God the author of life, but God is at work in the very beginning of life. Look at the intimacy of this language. God is knitting us together in our mother's womb. uh, When we were being made in secret, when we're being intricately woven in the depths of the earth, God saw us, even our unformed substance. God knew you from the very beginning of time, God knew you before you were an egg fertilized by sperm. God knew you, and he knew the number of your days when you were just a clump of cells. God knew you. Scripture is abundantly clear, friends. God is the one who created you from the very beginning, even inside the womb. So here's what this means for us as Christians, biblically. Not politically, not because Pastor Rusty says, because we see this in the Bible. This is the truth. Life begins at conception. We believe that life begins the moment an egg is fertilized. Even before that egg is implanted onto the uterus, where it's then going to begin to develop and grow, it has started the process of life. God has begun to knit that life together. The world may call it a clump of cells, but God calls it life, which is why uh, multiple times you've heard me just lovingly try to say this as carefully as I can, that we need to be aware of what types of contraception we use. Many birth controls work by making the uterus uninhabitable for the fertilized egg, continually causing that egg to die because it cannot be nourished and given the opportunity to grow. Some birth control pills out there operate in a way that seeks to stop the fertilization of the eggs, yet as a backup, there are hormones released that cause any attached eggs, fertilized eggs, to be shed. Friends, that's a life that God has begun to knit together. I do not pretend to be an expert in these things, and I know that this is uncomfortable, but you know why I'm sharing this with you? Because Mallory and I wish that we would have had somebody that would have talked to us about this 10 years ago but but we didn't. So do your research, pray about it, be wise about the choices that you make regarding contraception. So, so obviously, friends, if I'm willing to go to that level in this conversation, then you know where I stand when it comes to the issue of abortion, clearly. But, but again, I want to say this isn't me, this is the word of God that we just read together. Abortion is sinful and wrong. Simply put, it is playing the role of God, ending a life that he has created. Now, I want to just say this one thing. This sermon could die a death of 10,000 qualifications and qualifying statements. And I'm not going to do that today. There are, again, thousands of yeah buts that you could email me later. And I'm not going to do that all day, but I will simply say this. When we talk about abortion, I'm talking about elective abortions. I'm not talking about miscarriages. I'm not talking about emergencies where the life of the mother is in danger, and dangerous pregnancies. So hear me when I say this, because especially now, like, like the media is blurring that line hardcore in a very real way. Because again, this is, in many people's estimation, a woman's health issue. So they blur this line and they want that to be as blurry as possible so that when we talk about abortion, people think that we're only talking about these women who are in great danger. Even all of the pro-life legislation that's out there has exceptions for mothers whose lives are being threatened. I want to just throw that out there quickly. But when I talk about abortion, I'm talking about elective abortion. The statistics that I share uh, will be speaking of that. And the overwhelming majority of abortions in our country are elective. The top two reasons given for abortions are number one, the timing isn't right, and number two, financial concerns. So here's the reality we as Christ followers believe the Bible. And the Bible clearly teaches that God is the author of life and only he can take it away. Otherwise, it's murder. So friends, I want to just say this plainly, that abortion is murder. And it's sinful. And we as the people of God should stand against it. And I'll just tell you, church, I'm thankful for science. People always see science and religion at odds. But but I want to tell you that science is catching up to the Bible. One of the greatest tools of the pro-life movement today is the sonogram. You want me to open up my wallet and give? Tell me that a crisis pregnancy center is trying to buy a sonogram or an ultrasound machine. I will just empty the $4 and change that's in my pockets right now. You better have a square and be able to take my credit card, right? Randy Alcorn, who's a Christian author who writes several amazing books, but also is a pro-life advocate, writes that when he is has the opportunity to go and debate pro-choice people he because of his platform he's invited to all types of secular universities to have debates and things like that and there is one rule that they make him hold to at almost every single one of those and you know what it is no pictures no pictures why because the argument's over pretty quick when you say it's not a baby and you can show them a picture That doesn't look like a clump of cells, that looks like a baby. It's a life, and to end that pregnancy is to kill a baby. I know this is uncomfortable, church, but but we can't look away from this. Four out of 10 pregnancies end in abortion. 1.2 million babies are killed every year. That's more than 3,000 a day. Church, we cannot continue to be silent about this. It's not political. It's biblical. And here's what I want to tell you. And that's one of the reasons that this is an uncomfortable message for me today. The church is complicit in the abortion industry. Listen to these shocking numbers. One in five abortions is performed on a woman who identifies as an evangelical born-again Christian. That means almost a quarter million babies are killed every year by families who claim to be Christ followers. So we said earlier that statistics tell us about 40% of women have had an abortion. And we can assume that those numbers extend into the church. And let's not act like women are alone in this. There are husbands, boyfriends, moms and dads, grandparents who are paying for and pressuring for these abortions. Y'all, it breaks my heart to say this, but in Wichita, Kansas, especially, like, like somewhat still in the Bible Belt, if born again Christians were to stop pursuing abortions, the abortion industry in Wichita might not make it. They'd feel that hit. So the question becomes: How, how do we respond to this in our culture? Like, like, how do we as Christians respond to a culture that pushes for abortion and disregards the sanctity of life? First, let me just say this clearly. Politics will not save us. Oh, Lord, help me not get in too much trouble. I'm, I'm grateful. I praise God for what happened Friday, that, that Roe v. Wade was overturned. But here's what I need to tell you, friends, here in Kansas. It doesn't really change anything for us right now. Yeah, the door is open for the possibility of states being able to abolish abortions. And yes, there are some states who have actually done that and are in the process of doing that. But but here's what I just got to tell you. I'm not convinced that our politicians will actually ever do it. They've had opportunities in the past and haven't. I just... 2016, the Republicans had everything. And all churches with white evangelicals were like, let's put them in. We're going to get rid of, them. And so, yes, Supreme Court justices, yes, and praise God. But can I tell you, they had the opportunity to drastically save lives by defunding Planned Parenthood and doing other things. And guess what they did? Jack squat. So Republican Jesus didn't save you. So here's what I just wanna say. My appeal to you is don't let this be simply a political issue. Stop being a pawn, and that's for both parties. Like Republicans have long been using pro-lifers for years without any meaningful legislation to prohibit or abolish abortion. But at the same time, Democrats have co-opted those who would be compassionate for women in crisis, who would be compassionate for those families who are struggling to take care of children and say, well, then what do we do? This is so complicated. And then they've used you to try to vote against these things in the same way without ever asking the hard questions that lead to the hard truth that abortion is wrong. They'd say that it's all about women's health and freedom to choose, and many of you blindly follow that rhetoric without asking the hard questions. Don't let either political party use you as a pawn, friends. While I'm grateful for the overturn of Roe, I, I just gotta tell you, I never thought it would happen in my lifetime. I praised God on Friday, but at the same time, I am convinced that politics will not fix this apart from the church of Jesus Christ rising up. If the church seriously was said enough with abortion, if the church of Jesus Christ truly believed that abortion was wrong, abortion would be over in America in six months. But the problem is there are far too many people living in silence. A bit closer to home, I want to tell you that there is a reason you've not heard me pumping up the value than both amendment. I'm not going to tell you how you should vote on that, but but here's the reality, friends. It doesn't abolish abortion. So certainly some would say, well, but it's opening the door and it's paving the way for that. Can I just be honest with you? If you have followed the pro-life movement for any length of time, we've been cracking the door open little by little for decades with no actual change. I'm done, I'm done with political theater. I'm not gonna advocate from this pulpit for any amendments, any bills, any legislation that continue to allow abortion to happen in any way, shape, or form. It's time for real change, not just political theater. So you say, okay, Rusty, well if politics are not the answer, then what are we to do? I've got a really, really radical answer for you. Are you ready for this? Prepare yourself for the radicalness that's about to come at you. Live out your faith. Really believe what we say we believe. For far too long, the church has tried to walk in lockstep with the world instead of with lockstep with our savior. And we have sowed the wind and we have reaped the whirlwind. As this decision came down on Friday, I've talked to some of you, uh, really all age rangers who were shocked at friends on social media uh, who responded negatively to the news on Friday. I have to tell you that predominantly for me, it's it's been young adults, and not really here in Kansas as much as on social media. It was heartbreaking for me, but but young men and women that I've invested in in youth ministry and other ways who were so upset, posting all kinds of crazy stuff on social media. And before those of you who are older can say, "Oh, kids these days," can I just tell you something? They're your kids. For multiple generations, we've tried to be popular with the world while also being Christ followers. Y'all hear me when I say this, cultural Christianity is dying. It's been a slow death, but it's getting faster by the day. And I just want to say good riddance. You are not gonna be able to be cool and successful and welcomed in the eyes of the world while also holding biblical truth. And I just gotta tell you that I know that's going to be a struggle for many of you. I especially think about younger generations. It would be very easy for you to take metaphorical or literal retweets and likes over Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, but friends, listen to me. This life is short. What good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Jesus asked. My prayer is that the Lord would raise up multiple generations of people who are willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads us, regardless of what the culture around us says. This is who Jesus calls us to be. So, so, church, hear me. Young people, old people, everybody in between, Jesus created you and me to change the world, not be like the world. We cannot go on trying to fit in and also challenge the world. Jesus created his church to be the conscience of the culture. So, I want to just invite you, church, let's be weird again. Let's be different than the rest of our world. And you know what the Bible word for that is? Shine. Let's push back against the darkness. Let's be the light that shines bright in a dark world. So don't hear what I'm not saying. because, Because listen, the Lord knows we have way too many Christian jerks out there. It is possible for you to be loving It is possible for you to be kind, but you must not be compromised. Jesus was full of grace and also simultaneously full of truth. And here's one of the bigger problems in our world today. Some of you even now are thinking, well, you have not been very kind in this message. But here's what I want to tell you, friends. Kindness does not mean silence. That's something I don't like. I don't like that when I speak the truth, people are gonna say I'm a bigot. I don't like that when I speak the truth, people are gonna say you're hateful and don't care about women. I don't like that when I speak the truth, people are gonna malign my character. Because guess what? I don't know if y'all know this about me. I like being loved. (laughs) Anybody else, right? Like, we want that. But listen to me, we are in a culture now where we cannot afford to be silent but we also cannot afford to be unloving and unkind. I want us to respond to God's word in a unique way today. I'm I'm really, honestly, what I want to do is I want to call on our church to repent for two big reasons that I think we as the people of God should repent today. And those reasons are fear and apathy. Apathy. I think, honestly, we are afraid to be different. We are afraid of being unloved and unliked by our culture. And because of that, we stay quiet. And even worse than staying quiet is we've let the culture shape us instead of shaping the culture as the people of God. But on the other side of that, I think that there are many who are apathetic. Like, we just don't want to think about this. Because this is hard, we don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. And in a moment, we're going to have a time of response, and I want to invite you just to join me at this altar, just to ask the Lord to forgive us for not caring, to forgive us for being fearful, and then in that same moment to say, Lord, would you give me your courage? Would you give me your passion for life so that we can actually make a difference in this world? Because here's the reality. Now now that Roe is overturned, The battle is as close to home as it's ever been before. So the call is for us now to be ready to go to work, to to love women who find themselves in crisis. Yes, to even fight for real legislation to abolish abortion. And to work to save lives, to partner with crisis pregnancy centers in our city. So I pray that you'll join me here at the altar in a moment. But I also want to speak to those in this room who are affected by abortion in a real way. I said earlier, there there are some in this room who have had abortions. There are some in this room who have paid for and funded abortions. There are some of you in here who are carrying dark secrets and the pain and the guilt that go along with that. But I want to tell you today, friends, Jesus loves you. Jesus looks you right square in the eyes And today, he does not have judgment for you. But today, he offers forgiveness. I say this every week. It's not just because of this sin in your life. I say this about every one of us every week. We are great sinners, but we have a great Savior. And Jesus stands ready to heal you, to help you, and even to use you in a real way. If you want to pray, I'd invite you to to grab a friend, come pray with somebody here at the altar, grab one of our pastors, we'd love to pray with you. But I want you to join me today in asking Jesus to help us live out our faith in a way that changes this world for his glory. And may we see the day where abortion is abolished in our country. You pray with me. Lord, my heart's heavy today. As I think about my friends that are listening to this message and Lord, uh, the emotions and thoughts that are going through their heads and their hearts. Lord, I can't even imagine. I know just through statistics and just through knowing this flock you've given me that, that there are feelings and emotions all over the map. But Lord, I pray that today your voice would be the voice that we've heard and that we respond to. Lord, we repent for not living our faith out loud. We repent for not caring and God, we ask for you to fill us with your spirit, give us boldness to live in a way that really changes the world around us instead of being formed by the world around us. So God, we just thank you for what you're gonna do in this time.